And I just want to reel off some of the things that went on in the 90s. VHS tapes. <laughs> push pops. Does anyone remember push pops? Argos catalog shopping. Circle it, fold the page. Do you know, this isn't my notes, I'm digressing, there is an app, Argos app, and you can go through the old catalogs. So I went back to 1994, had a look, yeah, pretty sad, I'm going to carry on, right, what else is there? Buckaroo, Hungry Hippos, and here's the one that's linked to the title, Mr. Motivator. Oh yes, few people are excited by that. So I had memories of Mr. Motivator just dancing away, morning, GMTV, and I'd come down early, uh, my mom would be up at the crack of dawn, it'd be the hoover that would wake me up in the morning. I'd go downstairs and she would be doing half-hearted moves to Mr. Motivator while holding a digestive, a coffee on the, the mantelpiece. But Mr. Motivator, uh, yeah, he's, that's 90s in a nutshell, isn't it? But I want to ask this morning, what are we motivated by? Hopefully not Mr. Motivator, otherwise we will pray like we have never prayed. But uh, is it to be the best that you can be at your job? Is it to live comfortably with enough money to enjoy the better things of life? Is it a bigger house? Is it a bigger car? Is it to be the best mother or father that we can be, the best grandmother or grandfather we can be? Is it to be the best person we can be? Is it to go on an adventure with Jesus? Perhaps we're sitting here this morning and the motivation is, is dwindling. Perhaps there's a real lack of it. It's been a mission to get here this morning, to get through the week. As we look at the book of Titus, we learn of Paul's motivation. It's a motivation not consumed by the world, but focused solely on Jesus. He was his number one, his heartbeat, his purpose. Paul's firm choice was Jesus. That was the goal. Everything flowed from that devotion to the gospel. And everything was formed from that. So just an intro to the book of Titus. Titus was an early Christian leader. He was a companion and a disciple of Paul. And uh, he was mentioned in several of Paul's writings throughout the Bible. So if you're to look through uh, the New Testament, Titus is mentioned. And he is believed to be a Gentile who was converted by Paul to Christianity. And according to tradition, he was consecrated by Paul to be the bishop of the island of Crete. So Paul has wrote, wrote this letter, and uh, he was an apostle who shared the gospel, who had a dramatic conversion, uh, who used to persecute Christians and, is, uh, and was powerfully used by God to share the gospel, had a transformation moment, and was one of the most important figures in the early church. So we're going to read together Titus chapter 1 and just four verses this morning as we start this little series, verse 1 to 4. And let me pray before uh, we do that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this space. We pray, Lord, as we unpack, as we look at what you have to say to us, that, that change will come, Lord, that we will leave here more like Jesus. That's why we do what we do, Lord. 
to leave here more like Jesus and to introduce other people to the love that we have received. So we pray that this space will be a space where that happens. And for those of us that need a word from you, Lord, that are longing just to, to hear something perhaps really personable or something that will just fill us, Lord, we pray that this space can provide that, Father. May you speak into each and every situation, Lord. Amen. Amen. So let's read from verse 1. It should be behind as well. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So just the four verses, just that little intro to the letter this morning. Ah, oh, that's a lot better. I could hear that as well. So commentators look at the first few words of this passage, and they define when it says about servanthood, that he's a servant, translates it as under compulsion, committed, submission, hunger to share. I want to just start this little message this morning by asking us, when was the last time we were under compulsion to do something or committed, submitted, or hunger to share? Perhaps it was a TV program that we've seen. Perhaps it was a song that we've heard. When was the last time we were under compulsion to share what Jesus has done in our lives? Where He has changed situations, where He's spoken into the depths of who we are, where he's reframed actually how we view our own identity, where we placed perhaps our shame and our guilt to him and it's, it's disappeared, where he's healed us. When was the last time that we have done that, where we have meaningful, meaningfully shared Jesus and what he's done? Because often our motivations are directed in the wrong places. When Jesus does something in us, it's, it's often, and most of the time, it's to reveal him to others through us. Something happens. So as we know, and as I've shared very briefly about what happened to Paul, he had this dramatic, dramatic conversion. And then God calls him to work, God calls him to work, calls him on this mission. And that his mission is our mission, to share the gospel. It's our motivation. I want to look at four traits or actions or desires that we should be stirring in our hearts to put others first to fill our reservoirs, to encourage godliness, and to hold on to the hope of eternal life. So that's where we're going. We're veering away from three points this morning, so I'm a wee bit twitchy, but never mind. So the first one is to put others first, to put others first. Now, back in 2014, uh, we had Joshua, our, our wonderful boy. He's now five years old, and uh, I remember it. In September 2014, he was born. And I remember when Mary was finishing for maternity leave, and I took a trip to Costco. Now, Costco is a bit like, it's like a wholesale, a wholesale shop, like macro. Everything is, it's all like massive stuff. It's like huge jars of Nutella. 
You know, you'd, and there's loads of samples as well. I, sometimes I would just go to Costco with my trolley and just try all the samples, have my lunch, and then just buy some toilet roll and then leave. But uh, I was in Costco, and I thought when I was going around to Costco, I thought I could do something to surprise her. I could get something to surprise her. So I thought, when in Rome, you know, I'll make the most of it. So I topped up on a few things when I was going around Costco. And, uh, but using this platform for a little bit of honesty, uh, I often do that. It's, it's, it's perhaps a therapy moment for me sharing all this. It's okay, Thomas. But uh, a few of the things that I got married were still with me in mind. So I, I got the huge big box of Haribo, because she liked Haribo, but I liked Haribo as well. I also got, what else did I get? I got, uh, where's the other bit? The big things, the big, huge big like 48 cans of Diet Coke, because I like a Diet Coke as well, and Mary loves a Diet Coke. The truth is, I, I went through the whole sweetie aisle, and I got loads of things that not only Mary liked, but that I liked. Has anybody ever done that as well? They thought, I'm going to get something for someone, but I'm going to get a little piece of that as well. You know, I'm, I get really excited when Mary chooses a meal at a restaurant that I like as well, because I know I'll get a little bit at the end. I'm like, it's the aperitif, you know, it's the bit afterwards. But does anybody else do that? It's like, I'm going to get something, I'm going to bless someone, I'm going to get a little piece as well. I'm going to get a little piece. So I had a little bit of Mary's interests at heart, but not fully invested in others. When Jesus, with Jesus and Paul, others were their priority. When Paul met with God, he was blind, powerless, and couldn't do it himself. He went from being powerful to being powerless. And Jesus showed him the importance of others in his story. In that story of Paul's dramatic conversion, when uh, he was Saul at the time, when he was blinded, he was held by others for three days. He did not eat, he did not drink, and he was held by the hand for three days by others. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a transformation moment. There was a transformation moment. And Paul displays, uh, following that transformation moment, following uh, that moment where he encountered the Holy Spirit, there was a compelling moment to share, to share what Jesus has done, to go into battles for others. We read in God's Word of what Paul went through, the list of things, shipwrecked, beaten in jail, is endless. Paul displays a selflessness that can only come in God's strength and in God's power that the Holy Spirit develops. He wants people, people in deep, deeper understanding and relationship with God. He's compelled to share. And Jesus went out of the way to, to love the fallen and the fraudulent and the faithless, people that you wouldn't otherwise have anything to do with. I wonder throughout our weeks whether we make time and spend time with people like that. You know, small groups are, are great, and we speak about it often, these intentional communities that we have to, to raise each other up, to, to be real, and to, to pray with one another. But what about our work colleagues? What about our neighbors? And as I, I'm saying this, I'm saying this for, for me as well. I think about our neighbors that we see on our street. It's a lot of elderly people, a lot of lonely people. And we need a shift in our, our mindset to love our streets, to love our streets better. 
And there may be people here this morning who are doing that, and I'd love to hear stories. Please encourage me in that, because I need some of that. But we, we need to love our streets better. Who has God placed around us? Who are we compelled to share with and love and be generous with? So it's not only with each other at church, but spend as much time with people who have little or no faith. You see, with Jesus, his fellowship with the disciples, his time with his 12 uh, crew, they were the utmost examples of, of furthering faith because these guys had doubts. These guys had made mistakes. These guys lacked faith. But Jesus was fellowshipping in a space that was full of grace, full of grace, time and time again. And that's what underpins our, our faith, that we won't get it right all the time, but we keep our hearts soft in relationship and we love one another relentlessly. We don't give the enemy space to breathe. I wonder where we have, perhaps some of us in our relationships, in our friendships, we've allowed the enemy to breathe. This is a space where we can hand it to Jesus. Somebody said this, fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes aren't rubbed in, but rubbed out. I love that. I love that. I'm I love it so much, I'm going to read it again. Fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes aren't rubbed in, but rubbed out. I wonder if some of us need to bring that to Jesus this morning and say sorry. To bring our, our hardened hearts, to bring our disappointments, and to love relentlessly. And to not give up. And to not give up. To continue to give out in the tough seasons. So, we have to put others first. Secondly, we have to fill our own reservoirs. Paul speaks about knowledge and faith in these couple of verses, and the importance of furthering faith and furthering knowledge in verse 1. And this is where lies a, a bit of a tension. We can be good at filling the reservoirs with things of the world, but often not with God. Passionate about the stuff that provides short-term fixes and neglect deposit in time with God. And what do I mean by filling our reservoirs? I mean in, in times of pain and suffering perhaps, or joy and success, what do we draw from? What do we pull from, from within ourselves? Is it a verse that we've read that morning? Is it a song that uh, we've been worshiping to? Is it a prayer that was prayed for us on Sunday? Is it a, a story that we've heard, a testimony that was shared of someone else's breakthrough? Is it a reminder of our own breakthrough moments? Lord, I'm in, I'm in the mire just now. I'm in the tough stuff just now. But I remember you got me through it last time. You'll get me through it again. We pull it from the reservoir. And if we fell and we fell and we fell and we bring all of ourselves to God, we acknowledge that He is in control, that He is God, then things, stuff will flow out of God. I wonder how our reservoirs look this morning. Are we on a faith journey? Now, a reservoir, just to give you a, a bit of a translation of what a reservoir is, during times of excess water flow, dams store water in the reservoir. Then they release water during times of low flow when natural flows are inadequate to meet water demand. So just picture that a second. What we fill our lives with will be what we draw from. What goes in must come out. And just a couple of things on the reservoirs. 
Firstly, it's not a race or a competition. It's not a hierarchy. We're not a bottom of the pile, top of the pile, less of a Christian, more of a Christian, because you can't recall John 3.16. You can only remember maybe 10 verses of the Bible, and uh, the other person can recite the Old, Old Testament in its original form. <laughs> We're all on our own journey, each and every one of us. And it's important that we never feel inadequate in, in church. And I, I want to say, if you've ever stepped into this space and that has been the case, I am sorry for that. And we, we try, although we'll make mistakes, we try as much as we can to share and to, to create a space where that is accessible, but also a space where that doesn't matter in terms of where you are at, whether you can recall those verses or not. But we are, ca are called in this space to invest deeper and to guard what God is doing in us. In 2 Timothy 1.12, it speaks about guarding the good deposit. Are we doing that? God is eager to unveil more of Him to us. That's why we have this space. But we need to be hungry to do so. There needs to be a response in that. We must let Him in. I've put that in bold letters this morning. We must let Him in. We can come along to this space every week and sing songs and hear some funny stories and some truths. But what do we do with that? Do we let him in? Do we let him in? Do we say? Do we surrender? We were singing in our prayer time uh, that old hymn, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, my precious Savior. I surrender all. Do we do that? What does it look like for each one of us? So it's not a race. No one is more Christian than you ahead of the game, fought off by God as being better. What works for someone might not work for you, and that's okay. But don't get stuck. And I felt I had a word from the Lord when I was preparing this about being stuck, that one or two of us this morning are stuck because we know that there's areas of our lives that aren't honoring Jesus and require repentance this morning. I don't know what that is, but I feel the Holy Spirit wants to shatter our pride this morning. I'll throw it out there and uh, we'll have a space for prayer at the end. But just that, that thing of one or two of us are stuck. We know there's, there's parts of our lives that aren't great, lifestyle choices that aren't great, and that surrender moment is, is significant. And he just wants to break down some pride. Perhaps that locker has been pride to respond. Would love to pray with you. So firstly, it's not a race or a competition. Secondly, find out what works for you to fill the reservoir. I love to go to Loch Ness. It's only five miles away. So uh, I'll drive off there and I'll just park the car in front of the water. Isn't it beautiful? That's where I, I tend to meet with God. That's where I tend to hear from him and I'll, I'll put on a bit of worship. And I dread to think what the cars next to me are doing when I'm like this in my car. I've had no knocks in the window yet. But I pray, I worship, I read. Sometimes it's good to be in the peace and quiet. I wonder what works for you. Maybe it's when you walk the dog. Maybe it's when you drop the kids off, that 15 minutes that is precious. Maybe it's when you walk from your work to buy your lunch. Filling our reservoirs requires time, but it also requires rhythms and discipline. Rhythms and discipline. Do you put a podcast on? when you uh, journey to work. A little tip for that, if you've got the speed up function on your podcast, 
you can get half an hour for 15 minutes, which goes really quick. Don't do it in my voice, though, because I speak really fast already, so you won't be able to understand it. But perhaps when you go to work, you can put a podcast on. Perhaps when you're walking up a hill or you go around a golf, where is your point of least distraction that allows you and God some quality time together? And if you're eager to do this and you don't know where to start, speak to one another. Oh, I said it, one another. Speak to one another. Share. Hey, Ruth, how do you meet with God? Because I'm struggling the last wee while. Or Stephen, what, how do you meet with God? Speak to me because I need just some inspiration. I'm feeling a bit dry. Do we ask people? And also, we've not to give up. We've not to give up. Just like there are days that we don't want to go to work. There are days that we're like, I'm going to need to muster the energy. It has to be done. We need to have faith to invest. There's days where we just don't want to pray to God. We have to muster the energy and have the discipline to do that and have faith that this is significant. But also, just finally on this little bit, to fill, we might need to empty first. We used to have oil heating in our house. And for any of you that have oil, every time we would run out of oil. And the problem with running out of oil is that the tank wouldn't be completely empty. It would be full of sludge. So it would be full of all the, the grime and the, just all the rubbish at the bottom. It needed to be cleared so we wouldn't be able to get the oil, t- oil heating going again. And it was always November or December that would happen. But it's exact, that picture is exactly the same with us. God might want to empty out some of the sludge this morning as part of the filling to fill our reservoirs. What is needed emptied off? Don't live with the sludge and the smell. Empty it at the foot of the cross. wonder where that speaks into our situations this morning. I want to tell you about a man called Paul Luke. So, apart from having a first name as a second name, two first names as a name, Paul Luke, he has an unusual hobby. He likes milk. He collects milk bottles. Now, let me tell you a bit more. He has over 10,000 milk bottles. He built a museum in his back garden to keep all of them. And I'm just skimming over this story. Uh, And this is what he says, my parents liked it that I had a hobby. They thought it would keep me out of trouble. The ones with a Kellogg's cornflakes advert caught my eye first. I used to pick these ones out when I helped the milkman when I was at school. I thought it would be interesting to start collecting the different ones, but it started to get a bit out of hand. Ridiculous, isn't it? Yes. Now that is a ridiculous story how all-consuming that is. What has consumed our lives this morning that has got a bit out of hand, that we need to empty before God? What motivation do we need to put down? Pride, approval, our record collection, our car, or something that's just spiraled out of control? Maybe some of us here know we need to do a bit of emptying this morning before we fill up. Or maybe we feel dry. We just feel dry this morning and our time with God is tough just now. And we need fresh insight into what works for us in guarding and deepening our relationship with God. And so 
Fill our reservoirs and pursue godliness is the next one. Pursue godliness. So Paul's uh, mission was to pursue godliness, to see the godliness uh, develop in people with Titus. And he does this by pointing to God, trusting in God, God being his motivation, his everything, and his actions. Now, one of the commentators on godliness says this, the New Testament word for godliness and its original meaning conveys the idea of it, a personal attitude towards God that results in actions that are pleasing to him. This personal attitude towards God is what we call devotion to God. But it, was, it is always devotion in action. It's not just a warm emotional feeling about God, the kind of feeling we may get when singing some grand old hymns of praise or some worship, but it's actions, living and breathing. So to pursue godliness, we have to be living it out also. Now, the, the reality is you won't when we have this space, perhaps there'll be one thing that you take away from when we open up the words and whoever's sharing a short talk, there might be one thing that you take away, but you won't take a lot of what I say this morning on. We tend not to. But if you were to see me doing a good deed or blessing someone practically, that tends to stick more. Likewise, if you were to see me in the car park throwing away my plastic cup and my uh, crisp packet, you'd go, oh, what kind of pastor is he littering in the car park? It's in the doing and the actions that godliness is encouraged, shown, stirred, challenges us, and has grown in each other. We are called to be a godly people, and the kingdom of God advances when people see this in action. A commentator calls it, it's a sermon in shoes. It's walking. It's active. How are we walking this faith out? Every step matters. And we see that with Paul, the ultimate example in following God, in spite of the persecution. And people seen this. They've seen this man suffer horrifically for his love of Jesus. You know, as I was reading through a bit of Paul's journey, Paul could have stopped. He could have stepped back. He could have said, that's too far. He could have compromised. He could have been ruled by fear. But he didn't. He didn't. He was so compelled. So compelled. The love that, that God had bestowed upon him. The transformation in his life. That heart shift. It was oozing out of him. Through anything, he was going to share the gospel. It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. It's challenging. So it's asking God into our hearts, asking Him to change our perspective, a hunger for learning more about Him, but going out and doing. That's what leads to godliness in our lives and impacts others. We're called to be a light to the world. Charles Spurgeon says, I would not give much for your religion unless it can be seen. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. What do folks see as we leave here? And to have a real honest assessment in this space, are we shining? Are we shining? Are we filling the reservoirs to the point where God just pours out in the joys and in the trials? A heavenly perspective, a hope that is unshakable. Or do we blend in? Do we join in? 
It's tough, it's difficult, it'll require decisions that go against the grain. Godliness has worldly consequences, but heavenly rejoicing. And when we encourage godliness, as Paul does to Titus, we learn to trust in the turmoil. When things are tough, we learn to trust in the turmoil. John Piper speaks brilliantly about the key to godliness in relation to something our hearts, uh, something in our hearts that we don't like. So he says this, a reaction unexpected, unintentionally, but it rises and we don't like it. The result of a person we see or anything that leads to anger, anxiety, impatience, unkindness, irritability. And you hate, you have tried for years to give God, uh, give it to God, but it still comes back. Or a difficult season of emptiness, you've got more questions than answers. And he speaks of a thousand remedies to this. And this is what he says, you don't know what word of God, the word of God will do suddenly or gradually or how it will be used by the Holy Spirit to give the long-awaited victory. We are to never give up. Maybe you've read one morning a verse you've read a thousand times and it just makes sense. It fits. It's like you've never read it before. That's the Lord. There are 999 more verses waiting to do their surprising work. You don't know what victories await. Paul knew Jesus intimately. He spent time in his word. He drew from it. What a reassurance to trust in the turmoil. God sees that. He honors that and he's made a way. Maybe some of us feel that's exactly where we're at this morning. And we need to see breakthrough. We need to be reminded of his truth. We'd, we'd love to pray with you. And then the final point is to hold on to the hope of eternal life. We are a people full of hope if we know and love Jesus. And it's not like when I say, I hope it's going to be a white Christmas. We all know that this hope is a different hope. It's assured. It's going to happen. The hope that we have is like no other hope. We are destined for heaven and a place alongside our heavenly Father. Where all our weaknesses and shortcomings and illnesses and pain will be gone and we're made whole, all things new. What a hope. How often do we cling to that? How often do we grip hold of that? Paul says in that couple of verses, God, the God who does not lie, the God of truth. I just want to read Revelation 21, just a couple of verses. So this is John one of uh, the disciples speaking. He says, Then I saw a new heaven. He had a vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So good, isn't it? So good. We hold on to that hope. I want to close telling you uh, the story of a man called Eugene Land. 
He was a self-made millionaire, and he changed the lives of a bunch of sixth-grade uh, class uh, school children in Harlem, so a really rough area in America. Mr. Lang had been asked to speak to 59 sixth-graders. What could he say to inspire these students? Most of them would drop out of the school. Statistically, uh, there would be very little for them in terms of a, a future. He wondered how he could get uh, these Puerto Rican children even to look at him. Scrapping at his notes, he decided to speak from the heart. He said this, stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. At that moment, the lives of these students changed. For the first time, they had hope. One student said this, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. You see, Eugene in that environment made a way. Eugene changed their lives. Eugene didn't just speak, but he lavished his love in a radical, generous, and practical, crazy way. And hope was born in these kids. Dreams began in these kids. The kids could eat, wake each morning with hope for their years in college knowing that they, that was assured. You know, thank the Lord for the Eugene lands of this world, but thank you for Jesus as we bring this to a close. God has made a way for us. He is saying this morning, stay with me. I have paid the price for you. We have something to look forward to. I have something far better waiting for you an eternal hope where all the rubbish that we are enduring right now will be no more. I have lavished my love on you with my son, Jesus, taking all the pain, all the sin on himself for you. You do not need to worry. Press on and see the love that I have poured on you. Do the same for others and introduce them to me. What a golden feeling that is. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Let's stand.